Good afternoon. This is Jim Coburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here to talk about energy markets. To learn more about us, you can check us out on our website, commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcast and blog. We would like to thank our friends at EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any particular trading system strategy or recommendation. You're not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. Today is December 14th, and it's about 2.20 in the afternoon. Oil's trading around $70. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing good, Jim. How about you? I'm doing fine. I just uh, I'd like to start out and um, talk about a, an oil conference I think you and I went to a couple of years ago, and the analyst of a major oil company said, all you have to do is get GDP and weather down, and you'll understand uh, what oil demand is going to be. And that's not the quite—it's not quite the case these days, is it? No, it's not. I, I wish it was. Uh, used to be. He's right. You know, those are those are key determinants. There's, there's obviously other other factors, but demand. Trying to figure out where uh, weather demand over the last uh, couple of years has been—you know—it's been really difficult. And um, you know I, we're looking uh, we're looking forward to uh, 2022 uh, with uh, some demand estimates basically all over the place. And our own, you know, we keep I keep changing them uh, weekly, and I used to change them. You know, I change them monthly or even quarterly, and now it's it's a weekly uh, exercise because we just have. You know a lot of a lot of factors, and obviously one major different factor from uh, you know most of our careers, and that's the um, and that's the virus and and the variants, and uh, to to try to figure out how they affect demand is uh, is a difficult exercise to say the least. Yeah, I have to say, um, looking at the uh, EIA's uh, report, uh, it was released uh, last week, uh, their monthly oil report. Um, there, there's a uh, they, they talk about heightened levels of uncertainty, and uh, they've been saying that for a while now. And, and uh, I'm not picking on them, but it's it's nice that they, you know these forecasters recognize that this is you know is a huge uh, standard deviation around their estimates these days. So let's let's talk about Omicron. The uh, IEA report today uh, shaved uh, 100,000 barrels of next year's demand due to the Omicron. And I think they said mainly it comes, it shows up in um, jet fuel demand. And is that, is that what you're doing with your numbers? We're, we're a little bit higher than that. You know, it's not, it's not only Omicron, but uh, also, you know, Delta, uh, which has been way more lethal than, uh, than Omicron. But we took off about 400,000 barrels a day in the first quarter of next year. Which actually is, you know, I, I haven't seen how the IEA distributed that 100,000 barrels a day, you know, which is 1.2 million barrels total. 
And, you know, we're at 1.2 million barrels total, but, you know, we front loaded it into the, into the uh, first quarter. So, you know, we lowered demand on that. You know, we're always looking at what, what in terms of weather, you know, we're, we're assuming a normal weather pattern, which is, of course, hasn't really been the case, seemingly hasn't been the case, you know. Also, also a new variable, a new, a new know, variable. Yeah. yeah. A yeah. new variable. You yeah. Know, much, warmer than, much warmer than normal, much, much colder than normal. Oops. So not having seen where, where the distribution is on the, on the IEA, I, you know, I, I, we may be saying the same thing that, that, uh, that they're saying, you know, unfortunately they, they don't release their, their report to the, uh, to the public until like three months from now. Right. Um, which is, um, old news, which is, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, all, it's all news. Of course, you know, if you're a subscriber, you, you can get that, but, um, you know, we, we uh, unfortunately, Commodity Research Group can't quite afford the IEA, uh, the yeah. IEA subscription at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking in one of my uh, LinkedIn uh, postings, I mentioned that you're changing your supply demand estimates on a daily basis. You just said weekly. So I'll have to go in and uh, edit that post. But it's certainly, well, Jim, it, it seems like daily. Sometimes it has been daily. <laughs> You know, let's get back to, you know, yes. this, this is, so the IEA took, took out a hundred thousand barrels a day. Let, let's just use that. Yeah. There were other estimates out there of 3 million barrels a day loss or to as much as 7 million barrels a day loss. I think that those estimates were coming out when the, uh, you know, the market had its, its uh, Omicron crash the day before uh, or the day after after Thanksgiving. And, and, you know, you just see all these crazy numbers. Right. That, you know, even I, you know, I was like 3 million barrels a day. That's, you know, that, that can't be because, um, you know, we have, we have vaccines. Um, you know, we've got, now we've got pills to deal, the, deal with, um, is it, deal with it. So what, is it, is it three vac, three shots and two masks? Like, or is it two masks and three shots? Like, or three, three masks and two. I can't, I'm getting I confused. Think I think <laughs> it used to be a shot and a beer. I think a shot, I think, right. I think it's, whatever it is, we've got more weapons than we did last year against this, this right. thing. Right. And, you know, it's hard to see where we would lose 3 million barrels a day unless, unless, of course, you know, Delta, and, and this we've seen in Europe because Austria has, uh, you know, we, we've seen lockdowns already last month. Uh, Austria, Germany had a, had a, a light lockdown, uh, and you know the UK is looking like it, that's going. I don't know if they're going to get a full lockdown, right? But, um, you know they're they're going they're going south. So you know clearly it might not be just jet fuel. There could be losses in um, gasoline and in diesel. You know diesel as well. So where can you just uh, quickly run through? sort of demand by products up to this point? I mean, have we gotten back to 2019 levels? No, uh, no, no. we're, we're close. We're, the big problem still is um, jet fuel. You know, if you look at some of the first quarter demand, the first quarter 22 demand numbers, actually they're pretty close. First and second quarter, we're close for, for estimates. Fourth quarter, 
using you know our own we're 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 close not quite there we're about a million barrels a day short uh or maybe even a, a little bit less than that and we've had you know demand for gasoline has been uh robust globally diesel has has been strong owing to the uh owing to the economy the global economy's um coming back I, uh, has come back the GDP will come in between five and five and a half percent higher. Petrochemicals, great year for it's been a great year for uh, for petrochemicals. And uh, jet is the jet as we thought, you know, as we thought yep. coming into 2021, you know, the big problem was jet fuel, mostly because of the international flights, and that that's you know still becoming a problem. Domestic travels seems to be up globally, but internationally is, um, you know, it's just, it's just not there and it may not get there even throughout, you know, some of the airline industries is saying that even in 2022, they might not quite get to where they were in 2019 on jet fuel demand. So, and you're not seeing any, uh, like you're saying these numbers are good. So we're not seeing any like consumer response to these high prices at the pumps cutting back or anything like that the, the actual it doesn't it, it doesn't look like it, no it no. really doesn't it really doesn't look like it you know u.s demand has been right around pre uh pre-covid levels um you know even, even though the pump prices have been up you know near have been you know 341 or 342 was the was the high in Europe, India earlier in the year had obviously had some had some issues with their spikes, but they, they seem to be coming back. Chinese demand ended up is going to end up being pretty strong in 2021, probably not quite as strong in uh, in 2022. A lot of the um, anticipation is, is that once globally. You know the vaccine is more widely distributed, and the, um, that gasoline is going to be uh, really strong. You know, hopefully the hopefully the pandemic is winding to a close by third quarter. But you know, gasoline well, the expectations are for for a pretty strong gasoline year. Diesel too should be you know, should be growing, and petrochemicals. I think Jim is still going to be you know maybe the is is going to be one of the stars next year oh yeah a lot of a lot of stuff uh that's been coming to my door is in bubble wrap i assume that's a petrochemical and then i'm i always carry my uh trusty phone which i think has petrochemicals in it i mean it's all over oh yeah everything everything yeah everything uh, you know almost anything you touch has got a petrochemical in it so right right and, uh you know i think that's one of the reasons why it will you know, we're going to need petroleum. Yes. And and so margins are good then? Margins right now are very good because crude has come off. Inventories are, are relatively low. So margins globally are, uh, are strong. And I think we're going to see in December and into January and February, well, February's turnaround time, but I think December and you know, these next two months, we're going to see uh, pretty strong crude runs. And I think we're going to see strong crude runs next year, owing to the fact that we've got some new refinery capacity coming on in Europe. And, um, you know, with margin strong you, you, and demand still good, 
you know, you're good. I, I, I think refiners are going to want to run. And um, there are a couple of things that have been talked about in the press. Uh, one is the skilled labor shortage. That's that's not showing up too much in in turnarounds. You think, or is it is that an issue? And and the other was um, is is uh, the natural gas price in the U.S. giving these refiners an edge over, say, in Europe. Well, in terms of skilled labor, um, you know, there are refiners probably have a little heavier slate of, of turnarounds coming up because there's, there's been some uh, deferred, some deferred maintenance. I think there's, you know, there should be enough to deal with the deal with the turnarounds. But yeah, that's an issue, Jim. You're right. That, that is definitely an issue as of course, is the cost inflation to for a, any type of uh, any type of material. Right. Um, you know, I think that that's the, that's plaguing manufacturing. You know, global manufacturing, of which obviously refining is is a manufacturing process. Right. Right. And uh, but it, but it sounds like uh, refiners, you know, they're going to be in decent should be in decent shape for you know. The sh- at least the short term. I, I think they will be. Yeah, I, I think next year is going to be um, okay. For, I think it's going to be pretty good for refiners, actually, you know, assuming that they, they get this maintenance done and there's no, you know, that, that there's no big issues. Of course, last year in the U.S., uh, we had two big, we had two big refinery issues. One was the big freeze out in February and uh, two was, was Hurricane Ida. Right. Um, so that that was, you know, that probably, you know, that that's that's still taking out refinery capacity. The Alliance refinery in uh, Louisiana is going to be repurposed. You know, that's that's gone as like as a refinery, and and Norco in Louisiana is still having issues from, I believe, from the freeze out. Good. So um, it it looks like the sort of inefficient refineries are going to be repurposed. Yeah, I think, and we've seen that in shrinking U.S. refinery capacity. Mm. You know, we've lost all those, uh, we've lost a lot of crummy refineries, particularly in the Northeast, right? Uh, which were, you know, they were from early last century. So, <laughs> I, you know, what we're seeing, you know, the refineries that are exist that are, are surviving uh, particularly in the Gulf Coast, or these, you know, are a fit, you know, have, have been, there's been a lot of capacity added that it's way more conf- efficient than any of the, the refineries that we're losing, which is why crude runs, you know, relative to two years ago are, are you know, have been, rel- have been lower. I think as you and I were talking, they're a million barrels a day lower than they were a couple of years ago, although it looks like December is going to catch up. Mm-hmm. So how does OPEC plus respond to this demand question, you know, Omicron, just, the, just basically the, the uh, difficulty in, in sort of demand estimates could be plus or minus a lot. I mean, how, how do you manage your supply? What, what, they, they have uh, decided to continue with their 400,000 barrels a month. It's a it's a month by month decision. Where do they where where do you see them coming out on that? 
I think that, you know, the, they, they, I think it's going to be stay the course, Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to have, have worked. Um, you know, prices aren't where they were last, you know, in October, but you know, the 60 to 70 level or 65 to 75 level, you know, they can more than, more than live with that. So I, I, I think that as long as prices stay, you know, around here, a little higher, slightly lower, I think they're still going to unwind this, unwind their deal. You know, they're in the process of, of unwinding it. And I think that they are going to, you know, continue unless prices get way lower, you know, then, then they'll, they'll certainly have a uh, rethink. They also, uh, they don't know what the, uh, you know, the results of the, of the nuclear talks are going to be, you know, right now their deal is through April of 2022. And as next year unfolds, they'll probably have a better idea of uh, what their policy is going to be as we head to this, you know, as we head to the second and third quarter of, uh, of next year. Now, I, th- I think what's important is that, you know, we're talking about demand, you know, growth, growth and demand next year, but there's also going to be a growth in supply. And it, it may be a little more difficult for uh, OPEC to, you know, to, to manage uh, their, uh, manage their their supply in fact it looks as though if you look at the balances jim like the mm-hmm. it, it looks as though there's there's going to be build you know slight builds to bigger builds uh depending on which which agency you you look at for at least the first half of next year and possibly for the whole year so mm-hmm. You know, and, the, and the, the, so those supplies are coming from, uh, you know, you, there'll be non-OPEC growth by particularly us, the U.S., uh, should have a big year on, uh, on both crude and, and NGL uh, production next year. And Russia, too, is going to have a big year. At least we're forecasting a big year. Or everyone's forecasting a big year for, uh, for Russia. And, you know, there, there could be room for, there, is, there, will, there should be room for OPEC to increased production the question is as always you know how much yeah yep i mean there's talk that they're having trouble opec plus is having trouble meeting their increases do you think that's going to be an issue they are yeah they definitely are because you know the the west african producers are are not you know are not coming close to to their uh quotas most of the growth is coming from uh the, the persian gulf producers and they're the ones that are going to have to add you know add the barrels if if, you know if the market needs it so yeah they're they're not even you know they're not they're not making their nut and you said you said uh i the iranian uh talks have started out in trouble not in trouble with it it looks it doesn't look good for a, a quick uh resolution with iran and um do you think that's just posturing by Iran or you think it's, I think you're, you're basically for a while, you didn't expect Iranian oil on the market for, for a long time. Is that still, you're, you're still saying that, right? Is that what you just I, said? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see it in the first half of, uh, of 2022, at least. And, right. You know, we'll see what happens in the, uh, in the second half, but the talks couldn't have gone worse. 
because Iran handed the, the EU the document that basically countermanded a lot of the stuff they had already negotiated. So, you know, it, 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 it wasn't a good start. Like, as you said, Jim, it could, you know, it could be posturing, sure. But, yeah. you know, kind of a brutal, a brutal start. Right, uh, right. Um, so we'll, uh, you know, we'll, 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 so we'll see. Only keep, I'm we'll not optimistic. Keep, I wouldn't we'll only be keep, too optimistic. Yeah, I was going to say, you only keep, we'll only keep one eye on that. Not, right. not, but not both. Um, so from a policy standpoint, would you rather be the uh, oil minister of Saudi Arabia or the, the, the Fed chairman? Uh, I probably, well, in the short term, I probably want to be the minister from Saudi Arabia. Okay. Uh, actually, even longer term, you know, they're going to be, no matter, they're going to be around, you know, as an oil producer for, for you know, forever. Right. So the Fed chairman. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? You know, I just looked up uh, on the Fed's um, data data uh, website, Fred, and I, I looked up the Taylor rule. That's that that's that mathematical formula to see where the Fed funds rate should be um, based on, um, you know, the GDP and, and uh, inflation, the CPI, and it says we should be at 2.5%. And I think their effective funds, Fed, Fed funds rate is around 0.1 right now. So that's, that's going to be an, an interesting, yeah. uh, <laughs> there's, there's problems with the Taylor rule, I know, but it's just a, yeah. sort of a, it's a formulaic idea of where the Fed funds rate should be based on the economic conditions. And, and um, so we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, the, I getting back to your, Production. Yeah, I actually wanted to. I I wanted to ask you some questions. Okay. I wanted to talk a little bit about options. Well, I was going to. There gonna, was a lot of there was a lot of shake, rattle, and rolling last month. Uh there was. Um, we volatility on that day after Thanksgiving's got up to sixty-seven and a half. That's in WTI. Those are I tracked the uh, second nearby at the money option, and uh, that's that would be the third highest spike that that we've seen um and uh it's obviously it's not as big as last year's when when we went to negative prices and smoke came out of the option models and the option traders but it was uh it's a pretty big spike it was not on great volume you know i didn't see at least wti volume was nothing out of the ordinary uh but you did you did get that vol spike and it it, it came down to 42.4 yesterday um i think the whole whole story of this year has been the uh, call and call spread buying at higher and higher uh, strike prices. Um, you know, except for the early in the year, we saw those DS 22 calls uh, go the nineties, the 98s, the hundreds, the hundred call still is the, is by far the number one open interest contract with 68,000 open the, uh, the 98, this is WTI and is second with 32,000. And, um, you know, so, so as the price rallied through the year, we saw some of the, uh, again, the call, call spread uh, buying, you know, to, to give an example, in WTI, the biggest uh, uh, put out there is the June 22 put with 21,000. So, um, you know, Brent puts have a little more, uh, the June 60 put is number one with 34,900, uh, but their, their calls are not very high. So, you know, 
and having having said that, the the uh, kind of the crazy trade in Brent were the uh, uh, five thousand two hundred and fifty dollar calls for these twenty two and the five thousand three hundred and fifty calls for these twenty two traded. Now that's probably one person, and um, I was I was thinking, you know, if if that thing goes in the money. A better trade probably would have been buying canned goods. You know, you, you at least once that option goes off the board, you still have the canned goods. You know, I mean, money's probably you. You make if that again, if that cost goes in in the money, that that cash is probably not going to do you any good. What I'm saying, saying we're we're in some uh, dystopia type of environment if if that should happen, I would think. But um, anyway, that's that was like the craziest one, but also one that slipped my. My, uh, I didn't see this till the, the very end, but um, there were 36,000 open interest contracts open on the December 100 euro call for carbon emissions. So, I, you know, that contract has come of age after, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, 10, 15 years now. Um, that's a big number. 15,000 lots traded on December 8. And that was a couple of days before expiry and the market trade, I think it traded up to 90. So, um, you know, it, it reduced open interest by 10,000, but those are, those are big numbers. You know, like that carbon emissions contract has been, um, in a, in a bull market. We, uh, uh, my neighbor is, uh, works for a company that has an ETF and that's called, uh, it's a crane shares and that thing is up over a hundred percent. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see every, uh, trading company, has a uh, desk now trading these carbon credits and and um you know they it, i think you have you kind of have to grow a forest to sell into this thing you know so i'm not saying it can only go up it's already it's already come off its high but uh it's uh it's gonna be interesting to watch because you get etfs and these traders you think are going to be playing it from the long side uh, uh naturally and then um you know, you have a long only strategies basically. And then, uh, so we're, who's going to sell it, you know, is, 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 is kind of hard to, um, you know, I guess, I guess we get a, a recession, uh, that would bring it down. Uh, Omicron certainly would help bring that thing down. But like I said, in order to be a seller, you have to do, you have to get a more efficient process in your, in your manufacturing, or you have to, um, uh, you have to grow a forest and that's, that's hard to do. Well. Yeah, I mean, if you're generating carbon credits, right, you could sell it as a hedge, right? I mean, if you're generating, that's right. And how, so yes, there is a natural seller. To, to the yeah, but you, the way to generate them is you have to be more efficient, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm being being a little uh, uh, a little uh, exaggerated. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but um, the thing the thing looks like it's gone straight up. Uh, even before um, Glasgow was going up, and then afterwards it went even higher. So we'll keep an eye on that. I I I, uh, I understand that some analyses are done in California suggesting that thirty dollars as, as a carbon credit would would start moving uh, major groups out of the state, and and um, uh, it's that's where it is now. So we'll see we'll see if that happens. Anyway, uh, there's on that dive down after Thanksgiving, people talked about something in the options world called gamma rush. And 
when what happens in the oil market is that you get a lot of producers buying puts. You know, think about Mexico buying maybe 200 million barrels of puts over over the year. But um, all, all many of the producers uh, in the U.S. and around the world like buying put strategies because it's an insurance contract against lower prices. And if prices rally, they're not stuck. They get to participate, unlike, unlike selling futures. And also, if they're hedging, say, a year out, uh, they don't have to pay margin on a contract that's a year out. And, and that they're not going to get the cash sale for a year, right? So they don't have that mismatch in, in cash flow as well. So in oil, that put buying dwarfs put selling uh, by any, any people that speculators that want to sell. So you have these market makers, uh, banks, you know, uh, over-the-counter dealers, all kinds of people like that, uh, that will sell the puts. And they don't get to buy puts around those sales because the paper flow doesn't doesn't help them out. So they're stuck with these short put positions that are out of the money. And so the way they they hedge those is by doing something we call delta hedging. So if if you if you look at a an out of the money put, the delta will tell you what what how does it how does that premium move to a move in the futures price. So an out of the money put might have look like a third of a future. So if the futures moves down by a dollar, it moves by uh, 33 cents, say. But as it keeps, as the price keep moving down, those deltas change. So think about a, a, an op, a put that goes deep in the money. It starts moving around almost one for one with the futures because at once you reach expiration, it's likely that that deep in the money put will become a futures contract. It'll get exercised. So you're going from, say, 0.3, the market goes down, it goes to 0.5 to 0.7. And so in order to neutralize that, when the, when the position's put on, it would say, a, let's say a 0.33 delta, the, the, uh, the, the market maker sells the put and sells 33 futures for every 100 contracts they do. And so um, as it goes down, the price goes down, then they have to sell more futures as that price goes towards that strike. And um, we had what a, I can't remember, was a 13% move? How many, I, we, we blew through a lot of strikes on that Thursday. So those market makers had to sell futures on the way down. And as they're selling on a day like Thanksgiving, the liquidity is quite, tends to be um, less than normal. And so they're, you know, they, they put an offer out there and the bids run away and they have to, the next offer they have has to be higher in size because they missed selling, you know, their their uh, their deltas at a higher number. So that so they that that process is what we call a gamma rush. It's it's these these option market makers that get caught short, in this case puts, and they're using the futures to hedge. And and again, what you'd like to do is buy puts around the strike you sold because then that'll neutralize your your gammas as as your short option deltas are moving um, against you, those long puts, long options that you have move in your favor. And it's, it happens automatically. You still may have to hedge, but it won't be as panicky as when you're stuck short options. Does that make sense? Or yeah, that was we... a great explanation. So here's, here's a, a follow-up question. A lot of the press was saying that the reason the market came off was because of this gamma rush. 
Yeah. Do you think that has any validity? Well, it, it, I think it may be a little bit, but let me, let me just point out that when the carbon credit market rallied towards 90, the papers were saying that um, they were, the market was trying to go to the strike of $100 where all the open interest was. So we have these countervailing theories, Andy. One, one is the option magnet theory that the market will move towards the uh, uh, strike. And, and the, um, the other one is the gamma rush theory where the, where the market is blowing away through the strikes. So it's a it's a two sub theories of uh, the tail wagging the dog theory that you know I, options flow will have an impact on prices, but it's usually pretty small. And in this case, you know you you need you you, you maybe it's the kindling. You need somebody to strike a match, and I think the match was the Omicron, and maybe maybe also the fact that it was the day after Thanksgiving and there was uh, very little liquidity. So. And then, you know, and so yes, I think I think it's a valid uh, reason. It's but it's I would put it down, you know, with uh, <laughs> with a dollar change. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and throw that throw that in there. Another thing the press always likes to uh, to blame a market a market move when they have nothing else to do, when they have nothing else to talk about. I'm afraid. Well, we we used to uh, we used to hear people way back in the day on the floor, whenever no one could explain something, it was Fibro, right? That's Fibro, right. Fibro's buying, Fibro's selling. And then after that, it was funds. Funds were doing, funds are buying, funds are selling. And then it was, it always was the locals. Locals are, you know, taking it higher, taking it lower. And uh, you get these folks individually and they go, oh, it wasn't us. I don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah. And even we've, Andy, we, you, I don't know if you were there, but we had a, uh, a conference in our office where we had a uh, Wall Street um, market maker options guy. We had a, 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 one of our oil customers that was trading uh, monster amounts of options. And we had a floor trader, uh, it was Jim Zamora, on a, on a panel. And uh, somebody in the audience said to, I think it was to Jim, said, you know, why are you guys always moving the futures around on expiration day? And he said, we don't, we're not doing that. It's these guys. And he pointed to the Wall Street guy and the Wall Street said, guy said, it's not us. We thought it was these guys. So there's like, you know, and, and so, yeah, you know, it happens, but it's just not, it's not, it doesn't happen often. And it's, um, there's usually something else bigger going on in the marketplace. Which leads me to, to ask you a question, Andy. Uh, we, we have these dueling, if, if you, if you do look at the IEA and the EIA, uh, they have these charts showing supply demand, you know, going forward for about a year, and they have the history, and they show you the draws and the builds. And the IEA has, the EIA looks like a balanced market, um, you know, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. The the IEA looks like the bill, much bigger builds, and especially in the fourth quarter, it's going crazy. So, you know. One looks at a balanced market that would indicate to me low volatility market, and the other one, big bills that would indicate to me a large, a high volatility market. And uh, what what are your thinking? What's your thinking on those? Well, the difference there is that the IEA took the IEA just said, "All right, let's say OPEC 
does add monthly to the end of the year or, to, or until September that they add and make their 300,000 barrels a day that uh, OPEC adds and the 100,000 barrels a day that uh, goes to non-OPEC, mostly, mostly Russia. So think of it this way. So every month, the IEA is adding on another 300,000 barrels a day of uh, supply. So by, by September, you know, that's another 2.7 million barrels a day of uh, added supply. The EIA doesn't do that. So that, therein lies the difference why the IEA is showing uh, these big builds. The EIA alternatively just has OPEC production as flat through the rest of the year, which is also not right. I mean, they just threw a number out and saying OPEC's production is going to be 28.4 million barrels a day for second, third, and fourth quarter, because you know they basically punted. They don't they don't know either right. you know, what the right. OPEC what the OPEC strategy is. So yeah. the answer: high volatility, low volatility. You know, it's probably somewhere in between. Um, right. You yeah. know, of course, we don't we don't even know. You know, the one the the one thing that is going to be different about uh, next year, and we don't even know, or the one or two things, the one or two major events of next year, we have no clue what that's going to be. Because I think, Jim, as you and I have often said over our long and uh, somewhat distinguished or indistinguished or undistinguished careers. Extinguished. uh, Yeah, extinguished, right? (laughs) Is something, you know, something happens that you can never have foreseen in the, uh, you know, in the market, you know, whether it's geopolitical in a country that you had no clue would be, it would be an issue or, um, you know, something happens on the weather front, uh, something, you know, there's bound to be something that, uh, you know, no no one is forecasting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it happens almost, you know, almost every year. I mean, you can talk about you know, the forest fires in, in Canada, for instance, uh, a few years ago, where the, right. the um, you know, uh, crude getting stranded in the, mid, in the Midwest, or, uh, you know, a whole host of things. Not, not to mention uh, the, the Russians massing troops on the Ukraine border. And, uh, right. But that yeah. we can see. I mean, that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that one we could see, yeah. you know, like you, you couldn't really see that Libya would, you know, would stop exports a few years ago, you know, with the, with so, the uh, Arab Spring. I'll give you one quick story. When I first got into this business of, uh, of uh, options world, I had uh, two speculators, two speculators and they were, uh, were bullish the stock market. One of them bought futures. The other one bought calls. The one, the market immediately went down and it stopped out the guy who bought futures, the guy with calls hung on and the market went, turned around and went up. And I tried to get the guy back into the futures, but the price was above the, the place where he sold it. And he couldn't, you know, psychologically do that. And, and for the next month, this, this was like in, I believe it was August of 1984, uh, the market went straight up. Those calls went deep in the money. And the guy was on vacation, he comes back and we start selling futures into the rally. The market dipped, we bought them back, it rallied, we sold them. 
and this guy, uh, he was a, he was a doctor. He said that he was like, he's never made so much money in his life. It wasn't a lot, but I mean, this was back a long time ago. And from then on, I said, wow, these options, you know, have a lot of, you can, you, for a small speculator, can give you a lot of staying power. And, um, that stuck with me ever since, even, even, even with, uh, like big oil companies, I think they've, they've probably, uh, if they haven't had any asset against their, you know, their short option positions, I think they've, they've had a hard time, may, maybe made some money over time. But for me that the, the um, my bias is uh, on the buy side of options, because I know exactly what my risk is going to be. And uh, I, it, I can sleep at night with those uh, positions on and, um, and it's even more so now. I mean, you know, just just look at the last few years. So, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you've said that consistently, you know, over the last you know, decades, over the many decades that we've known each other. Yes. You know, you've always said you prefer to be a buyer than a seller of uh, yeah. options. So, if I, yeah, if I'm going down, it's going to be by a thousand cuts, not by the, you know, <laughs> not through <laughs> not the that one position. Yeah, not through the spike through the, the heart. You, the, <laughs> the one you'll be gamma rushing is the market. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> right. It collapses. <laughs> right. Right. Oh. Um, so listen, you uh you you're trying to sneak out of here without talking about I am. prices. I'm to, I'm, I'm, I was about to end it. Yes. Well what we want to talk about uh I was I was asking you before uh this podcast and you shut me down. I was uh, I was asking you what's you know, if you think about the last barrel of oil that's traded, what's what's its price gonna be? Is it gonna be really high or really low? And you just you know, kind of slap me aside. So I'm not going to talk about that, but let's, and then I was going to say, well, what's, the, what's the path to that price? You know, I'm thinking about um, the, the energy transition as we move more and more into uh, green uh, energy, we see that it's got some uh, major uh, problems with, you know, we see it in Europe, we see it around the world with uh, natural gas where, uh, you know, we, we're seeing fuel switching because, um, you know, the winds stop blowing. We have these uh, weather events and, and um, the, the green energy is not ready to take take over yet. So we're just talking about three months from here, though. But Andy, what can you can you give me an idea of what you think is going to happen when we'll put a we'll put a very large standard deviation on this estimate? Just for the first in the uh, in the first quarter. Yeah, just just like first quarter. Yeah, we still have December left, but yeah. Yeah, we have we have three weeks of December. Yeah, we have yeah, so three weeks of December left, and then we've got, you know, and, and then we've got the first quarter. I have, you know, just looking at my balances. Yeah, I, I have a build of uh, a million barrels a day in the in the uh, first quarter, which. You know that that is going to put the market on, on the defensive, I think. Uh, but because inventories are still, you know, they're still low. Um, you know, it's hard for me to see the market coming off. You know, all that much. I mean, WTI got down to sixty-two. Can it get back down to sixty or the the high fifties? Yeah, for a warm winter. Yeah, I guess it. I guess it could if if you know we have no winter at, at all. And obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty on uh, on the variable on the uh, on the variables. But you know, I think the market is is going to try. You know, I hate saying this, but I think this is what's going to happen. I think we're going to try to get into some kind of uh, some kind of range in the in the first quarter. 
you know, maybe something like 65, 75, something like that. We wrote it on monthly, you know, we thought that 70 would be the uh, equilibrium price for WTI when things settle down. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd still go with that. And, um, you know, it, it does look, Jim, more and more as if at least for 2022, you know, the, the, the talk of really uh, acute shortages and, and cri- you know, energy crises, you know, and the, the, just looking at the numbers, right, and, and our best, ca- best case, that, that doesn't look like it's going to be the case for 2022. You know, 23 and 24, that's a different story. So, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking, looking at right now. So at seventy dollars, you're basically saying, let's let's take twenty dollars away, ninety or fifty. Which which one do you think has a better shot of touching? I'm not saying it hangs down there, but or which one hit? Which one do we hit first? That's a tough. That's a tough question. Yeah. Okay. I don't like either, don't like either of those prices, but oh, so you, you know, okay. I guess fifty. I guess 50 if there's absolutely no winter, we got to, you know, we have a shot at 50, I guess, first. Okay. And then you don't think we're going to get up into that 9,500 area? Not, no, unless again, you know, if it's, if it's Arctic blasts for a long time, you know, then, then you're looking at, you know, the, then demand is going to pick up. There'll be, and there's fuel switching as you, as you mentioned. Right. So, you know, that, that's, that's just, that's weather, you know, that's weather stuff. And then there's this underlying assumption you're making about Omicron as well. That's kind yeah, of that it's not going to be deadly. Yeah, it's not going to be deadly. All right. Anything else, uh, Andy? No, I think we covered a lot. Okay. I'm going to call it a day. And uh, you can, you can, uh, I'm, I'm still putting stuff up on LinkedIn. I put the uh, podcast up on LinkedIn. It, as I mentioned earlier, it shows up in EKT Interactive. It shows up on our uh, on our website uh, as well. And uh, uh, we'll see you we'll see you next month, Andy. We'll see you next month. If you want to reach me, I'm at a lebo a l e b o w at commodityresearchgroup.com. Andrew Lebeau. I'm also on LinkedIn. And if you have any uh, questions or, or comments or criticisms, uh, we'll take the first two, but not the third. <laughs> Terrific. 